recording and and I'm also going to just uh, go live on Facebook, even though I'm not as prepared as I would like to. Um, uh, um, okay, so here we go. All right. So welcome back, everyone. It's good to good to see everyone back again, and we are now. Uh, one week closer to Rosh Hashanah and it's a big year for you know for all of us uh, we've just gone through the whole world has gone through a very difficult year and the Jewish people have particularly gone through a very very difficult year we'll talk about this we'll talk about this in this week and next week and and all the way through you know, Yom Kippur, because that's that's what a Jew does at this time of the year. We start thinking back about the promises that we made last year, and we think about whether we lived up to those promises, and we think also about uh, you know what we what we've learned from this year and what we what we hope to achieve in the next year. So uh, I'm I'm also just a little bit shaken up right now. And I'll explain why. I'm going to share my screen with you. Um, uh, let me just um, let me just share the screen. So, uh, unfortunately, you may you might have heard, you might not have heard, but this bad news travels fast, and particularly you know in the Jewish world, news like this travels fast. There was a terrible. Um, incident that happened in Denver this morning, early this morning, a young yeshiva boy, yeshiva bacher, uh, was killed in a completely random act of violence. Um, and um, uh, the, they're, still they're still searching for the, the killers, but there was some other crime that took place in a different part of town and they were just driving past the yeshiva and then the, the gunman must have just pulled out a gun and shot this young boy completely no reason whatsoever. He wasn't involved in any, any part of the crime at all. Uh, and uh, they're looking for him. So you can see the, there's a, the, the, the funeral, the Leviah was, uh, was at uh, in Denver, but they are now having a, see, there was a carjacking and a shooting and then in a completely different part of town near the yeshiva, completely randy, randomly, the, he was killed. But the the uh, the funeral is is going to take place in Denver, but then also in Lakewood. Uh, and the 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 reason why I'm so shaken up about it is that my youngest son was very good friends with him, and went to camp with him for six years in Cleveland. Now. Uh, I don't know if Mona and Mark know of this family. Family name uh, was Silverberg. Um, and it's just a very, very, you know, sad occasion. And, I, and my son is thinking of, of actually... Friends, brother. Yeah, Mona, did you, did you know the family? I don't think so. 
I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, my grandson very friendly with his uh, younger brother. Uh, One um, of our grandsons here. <laughs> yeah. So, so when things like this happen, <laughs> when things like this happen, it just shakes you up, and you and you almost don't have words. But when it's a little bit closer to home, both because you know um, my son knew him, but also anyone that's got a, a grandson or a nephew or anyone that's you know just a completely innocent person, uh, it's very very hard to process. So we're going to dedicate the the class in his memory, and it should you know his family should be comforted and and we should not we shouldn't hear of any more sorrows in, in the Jewish people. Um, okay. So uh, what I want to talk about today, you know, we, we've been doing this pretty much every week uh, since we started, we've been looking at the mitzvahs that are in the Torah portion. This week's Torah portion basically is all mitzvahs. I think there's 57, if I'm not mistaken, mitzvahs in this parsha. This parsha is called Kisaitzei. Now, uh, it's very, very interesting. There's all kinds of mitzvahs, and uh, we're not going to talk about the one uh, that is, would generate a lot of discussion, but also has a very fascinating lesson for us all. Um, if we get time, we'll come back to it. But that has to do with conduct in war. You know, Jewish people... Uh, have fought many wars, and I would say that you know the IDF <clears throat> uh, is probably the most moral army in the world, uh, despite the fact that there's so much negative press that they get. But that's just because people hold the Jewish people up to a higher standard, or they've got double standards, you know. But uh, a lot of their morals, a lot of their values come from the Torah. So there's, uh, I'll just mention it, but we're not going to, like I said, we're not going to discuss it. There is a, a mitzvah regarding a, a woman that is captured during battle. And there's an allowance made for, even though the woman is not Jewish, there's an allowance made for the Jewish soldier to marry this woman. Now, obviously, she would have to convert, and there's a, but in the in the heat of war, in the in the the passions that are aroused, uh, we all know, or maybe we don't want to know that uh, the way that soldiers behave, you know, towards women on a during war, uh, is not the way that they 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 deal with them off the battlefield, and so. The Torah recognizes, the Torah is not written for angels. The Torah is written for human beings. And when human beings are in, in war, sometimes our passions get, uh, the, you know, control us. And the Torah sort of, so to speak, gives a, an allowance to marry this woman. Now, the lesson is that that means that off the battlefield, we, we don't have this allowance and we do have to control ourselves. We can't say that, well, you know, uh, it was in the heat of the moment and I lost my control. We can't say that. Uh, only in an extreme circumstance can we say something like that. So um, 
So that's the that's how the Torah starts. The, the great thing, what, which I love about the Torah, is the Torah doesn't hide behind niceties and pretend that everybody's good and everybody's going to treat each other well. The Torah understands that that we live in a world that has got lots of challenges, um, and so uh, this is a time of the year, also, you know, when we we uh, think about all the different challenges that we faced over the, the course of the year and how we dealt with them. Um, now, the one mitzvah that I want to focus on uh, is a mitzvah called Shiluach HaKain. Shiluach HaKain means sending away the nest. Uh, what it, mean, what it refers, refers to is, is a mitzvah where if a person comes across a mother bird sitting on her eggs and a person wants to take the eggs, they want to, you know, they want to eat the, the eggs or they, or she, or the eggs have hatched and the, the chickens are there and the person wants to take the chickens uh, to raise and then, you know, slaughter for themselves to eat. Then the mitzvah is that you have to first send away the mother bird. You can't uh, take the chicks or take the eggs while the mother bird is hovering over the over the eggs, and you have to you have to send the mother bird away. Now, uh, there's an enormous amount of discussion about this mitzvah, which is a little surprising because it seems like a pretty straightforward kind of a mitzvah that you should, you know, be uh, merciful and, uh, you know, you almost wouldn't need the Torah to teach you something like this. This would just be normal human conduct that you don't, you know, take a, a mother's children away in front of her. There's another mitzvah or there's another prohibition really, which is somewhat similar is that you're not allowed to slaughter, you're not allowed to shecht the, a mother and child on the same day, a calf, a mother, a cow, and, a, and its calf. Uh, if you, uh, you know, at a, a butchery, you know, you, uh, or a slaughterhouse, you're not allowed to slaughter the two at the same time. And, that, and it is a similar reason that, that the mother shouldn't be, shouldn't see that its own calf was being killed or vice versa. So it seems a pretty straightforward, seems like a pretty straightforward mitzvah. But it turns out that there's a lot of details to this mitzvah. And in fact, there's an entire chapter of the Talmud that is dedicated to it. And it goes, it goes through all the computations and all the, the details. And we're going to talk a little bit about them. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, I don't often walk down the road and see some bird sitting on its uh, its its chicks or its eggs. I don't know if any of you have ever chanced upon this while you're walking down the road in downtown Chicago or you know in the suburbs of Cleveland, you know where you're just walking around and then you suddenly see a a, a, a bird on. Now, if you go to a bird sanctuary. Maybe you'll, uh, you know, maybe you'll you'll see it, but for the most part, 
we don't come across this. Now, what I will tell you is that it sometimes happens. It sometimes happens that somebody in our neighborhood has a, a bird's nest with, with chickens in or, or eggs in. And the word goes out and everybody comes rushing over and they try and perform this mitzvah of sending away the mother bird to take the eggs. Now, you are, you're going to ask me, like, what do you mean everybody comes running up to perform this mitzvah? If, if uh, it's in a person's house, then the eggs probably belong to the person whose house it's in. How, how can other people come? So this is where some of the discussion in the Talmud takes place. I don't, I don't want to focus too much on this. One element I want to focus on is that uh, the rabbis say that there's a great segula, and it's a difficult word to translate. A segula means something, something special that happens when you do this mitzvah. So there are people who are, uh, they haven't had children for many years, or they haven't got married for many years, or they've been sick and they want a refuah shleimer, they want to, you know, a, a, a recovery, then they perform this mitzvah of Shiloh HaKain. It's supposed to bring um, great spiritual benefit to, to a person. So, in fact, my wife has actually performed this mitzvah. And uh, it was, I think, in Peterson Park. And it was, I think, before WhatsApp, the word went out and she ran over to the house. And it's not that she really wanted the eggs, uh, but she wanted to do the mitzvah. And so she did the mitzvah and uh, without going into all the details, you know, what we prayed for and, and what we needed, we all, you know, have got things that we need to pray for, but uh, uh, this was some, this is my, uh, my wife's favorite mitzvah. She was very moved by doing it. And uh, you hear about this occasionally, but what I want to discuss with you is something very, very interesting and that is, uh, what is the reason for this mitzvah? Why, why is it that, that Hashem gave us this mitzvah to do? And this really gets to a fundamental disagreement about mitzvahs. We've been talking about mitzvahs, you know, for a, a few months and going through all the mitzvahs in the, in the parasha. Uh, and uh, there's two different approaches. There's two different approaches. The one approach is that there are reasons for the mitzvahs. And the reasons sometimes are easy for us to understand and sometimes they're not. And some, something like this mitzvah, you would think, is very easy to understand. We, we are being told to be merciful to, to the mother and not let her see her chicks be taken. Uh, and, and yet, one of the commentators says that that is not correct. That, in fact, we cannot determine what the reason for the mitzvahs are. These are uh, decrees that God has declared and that we have to follow whether we understand them or not. 
Now, that's a uh, uh, that is a fundamental disagreement. Everybody agrees, even the even the rabbi that says that uh, mitzvahs have got reasons and we should study them, will agree that we can never understand the full uh, purpose of mitzvahs because mitzvahs are um, mitzvahs are something that were given by God and and God is infinite and we are finite and we can never understand God's mind and understand why he gave the mitzvahs but he gave us a mind to to study the Torah and to try to figure it out. And the reason is so that we can become better people. I was learning a fascinating piece in uh, a commentator called the Maharal. And uh, he, he takes the, the second approach that we don't know the reason for the mitzvahs, but we do know what the mitzvahs do. What the mitzvahs do is that they create a, a bond, a connection with us and Hashem, with, with us and God. And the more mitzvahs we can do and the more intensity we can do the mitzvahs, the more, the more we concentrate when we do the mitzvahs, the closer we get to Hashem. And that's the purpose of the world. That's why we came into this world is to try to become more God-like. And that means, for example, if a person keeps Shabbos, then there are different ways a person can do Shabbos. A person can just go through the motions and go, you know, to shul and not really concentrate on the words and, you know, sleep most of the day and, and you know, or, or take it easy. And then there could be other people that will really get into it and they'll focus on the prayers and they'll learn more Torah on Shabbos because they got more time. They'll spend more time with their family. And that goes with every mitzvah, learning Torah. Learning Torah is one of the biggest mitzvahs. And there are people that do it because, well, that's what I have to do. Uh, and there are other people that do it and they, and they love it and they, and they do it with a, with a passion. So whether you take the opinion like the Maharal that uh, we cannot delve into the reasons of the mitzvahs or you go following what we've been looking this the book, the Sefer HaChinuch, that does give reasons uh, the, the, the idea that we should be leaving with is that uh, whatever we do, and that means, for example, when you, we all do mitzvahs, whether you, you know, I don't like using the word orthodox or conservative or reform. I prefer using the word observant or non-observant or degrees of observance. We all, you know, make mistakes. We all are not perfect. And it's very hard for someone to do all the mitzvahs perfectly. And even if you don't keep Shabbos and you don't keep kosher, but you can uh, do lots of other mitzvahs as well. You can, you can give tzedakah, you can give charity. I mentioned you can learn Torah, uh, but you can, do it with, you can do it with a passion. So um, what I want to do is I want to uh, take a little bit of a break, see if there are any questions. Marty's always got a couple of really good questions. But again, just to summarize again, the, the mitzvah of sending away the mother bird is, uh, is quite detailed, exactly how you perform it. 
and uh, is it a mitzvah that you have to do or is it just an optional mitzvah? Meaning if you come across a, a nest of, of, of a mother bird sitting on its eggs, are you obligated to do the mitzvah or, or not? A lot of discussion in the Talmud. And then the second aspect, the second aspect is, does this mitzvah have a reason? Can we, can we find out why it is that Hashem gave us this mitzvah? Was it so that we should be compassionate on animals? Was it so that we can learn to be compassionate to human beings by being compassionate on, an, on animals? Or is it just that we have to do mitzvahs and mitzvahs sort of purify us and, and get us to become more godlike, become closer to God? But either way, uh, this is a, a fascinating mitzvah. It's in this week's Torah portion, and I wanted to share it with you. So uh, if you... If you if you're interested in doing the mitzvah, you let me know, and I'll if I hear about a mother bird, I'll I'll uh, I'll let you know. Uh, all right, so I'm going to uh, unmute everyone and ask if there's anybody got any comments or any uh, any questions. And if not, we'll go. We'll look at another. We'll look at another mitzvah. Yeah, it's kind of a strange one, so I don't have any questions. Right. You don't have to bother contacting me on this one. Okay. What about any other? You got any other questions about uh, my thoughts on what's going on in the world right now? Or I I hadn't heard about what happened in Denver, and and my niece who lives in Denver, yes, did not um, contact me, and she usually does, but that's. That's extremely tragic. Oh, my yeah, heart goes out yeah. to the family. Yeah, it's just, know. I mean, it's just, I don't know what to say. It's just so, yeah. so awful. It's, it's, you know, unfortunately, unfortunately, the Jewish people have had a number of tragedies this year, whether it's Moron or the other Hasidic group where the bleachers collapsed and a few people died or Surfside. Uh, but when something like this happens, which is so uh, like random and so you know meaningless, senseless, uh, yeah, senseless, and and you know that a whole world is going to change for this family, and they'll never ever be the same. Anybody that you know, I'm 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 feeling very heartbroken for my my son right now. I, I like I said, Rabbi no, is. Where's this kid from? Is he is he from? You said he's going to be buried in Denver. Is well, he from Denver? No, I, I think he was going. No, he was going to Yeshiva in Denver. I think the family's from Cleveland, but I heard that the funeral is actually taking place in Lakewood, and I'm not exactly oh, yeah. sure. I'm not sure if maybe the family was from Cleveland and they moved to Lakewood. You know, I'm not sure. My son's trying to get on a plane to go to the to go to the funeral. Oh, okay. Um, I was wondering if he, if he's going to be buried in his hometown or something like right, that. Right, right. I mean, that's what normally would happen. But, you know, I'll tell you another thing as well, you know, while we're talking about this is, you know, um, what's remarkable is that when something like this does happen, there are people that step up and, uh, and come to help. And, you know, I don't know if you remember, if you remember, I mentioned to you, I was just in Ukraine for three days a couple of weeks ago. And while we were there, there was another terrible tragedy. There were three young yeshiva boys as well who died in a plane crash. 
They had also come to visit, you know, grave sites of holy rabbis. And right, like, to I think towards the end of the trip or just before Shabbos, they were at some, like, uh, tourist place where one of the things that people do is they go on a, a light plane ride to go tour around, you know, the countryside. And there were three three boys, one of them who was engaged to get married, that died in this plane crash. And we were in Ukraine. We heard about it, but the whole Jewish world heard about it. But, you know, when someone dies in Denver, so there's a Jewish community right there. And they obviously they've got to inform the family and they've got to make all kinds of arrangements and people do take care of it. But in the, in the Ukraine, even though there are Jews, but it's a it's a foreign country and the and these boys were all from they were from three different countries i think one was from israel one was from england one was from america and um what they did was uh what they did was uh they had to first of all stop an autopsy from taking place and then they had to bring the bodies to a place where they could then be transported to the different countries. And that took a lot of diplomacy and calling governors of the, the country or the, you know, uh, and arrange special flights. But there are people in the Jewish community around the world and, you know, uh, in Europe and in America that, and, you know, that, that, uh, that do these kinds of things. And uh, I don't know if you heard also, this, this was some good news. There was a, a young boy that was lost in a in a camp. Uh, I don't exactly know the details, but hundreds of people went out to go searching for him, and this uh, you know, middle-aged man found him. And there's video clips of people dancing as they brought this boy, you know, to safety. And why were they so happy? I mean, they they didn't know this family, but they just all felt like family. They all felt like they were part of the Jewish people. So when, when there's something to be celebrated, we celebrate together. When there's something to mourn, then we, uh, you know, we mourn together. And uh, it's a time also to just be a little bit more appreciative of everything that we have and to not be too concerned about uh, things that are trivial. Uh, and that takes hard work. You know, I'll, I'll end with this one thing and then if there are no more questions we'll we'll call it a day but uh there's a famous story you know this week's uh, the torah portion is called is called kiseitse which means when you go out to war and like i mentioned in the beginning there's a mitzvah of what happens in the heat of battle and an allowance made that you can marry someone that you that you capture in 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 battle but the rabbis say that that what we're supposed to be really thinking about is that each and every one of us is at war right now. We're all at war. We're all engaged in battle right now. We're battling the Yetzirah. You've all heard of the Yetzirah, right? Lou, you know what the Yetzirah is, the evil inclination? Right. So, so we have to treat the Yetzirah like an enemy, just as if we were on the battlefield. And that means we need to have strategies and we need to understand who the enemy is and, and what his strengths are and his weaknesses. And one of the, one of the common themes is that you don't attack the Yetzirah face on. 
you don't say, okay, I'm going to come and battle you head on. It's more like it's like guerrilla warfare that you, you uh, try avoid direct confrontation and you prepare for it. So it's no coincidence that this week's Torah portion takes place around about the time of Rosh Hashanah, because now we're coming up to that time of the year when we have to, you know, think to ourselves, well, did I, was I successful in my battle against the Yetzirah this year, or was the Yetzirah successful in its battle against me? And uh, there was a story, the Chofetz Chaim, the famous Chofetz Chaim, I might have mentioned before, lived in you know the early 1900s, leader of the Jewish people. He wrote books about not speaking Losh and Horror. He wrote the Mishabrua, which is a you know, companion, companion of Jewish laws. And he once met a soldier coming back from the, you know, the front line. Uh, and he said to him, now the real battle begins. You're coming back from a physical battle, battlefield, but now the spiritual battle takes place. And that's basically what the entire Torah is about. From beginning to end, it's, it's a story of whether it's individuals or it's groups of people basically facing challenges and facing the Yetzirah and coming up with strategies how to defeat it. And that's why we learn the Torah. We don't read the Torah and learn the Torah just because it's a history book and it's interesting and it's got fascinating stories. We, we can read other history books and read other interesting stories. But the purpose of learning the Torah is that we should uh, learn the lessons that are in the Torah and we should become better people. So, um, uh, Marty, this, this is part one of my Shabbos Shuvah Drasha. Okay. And I hope uh, we all take it to heart, including myself, and that, uh, again, in the merit of the Torah that we learned today, uh, it should be a, a source of comfort to, you know, to the, to the families and everyone that was, was close to them. Um, so uh, thank you all for your, your time. I'm going to wish you all a good Shabbos. And uh, if you have any more questions, I'll, I'll wait on for another few minutes. Otherwise, I'll wish you a good Shabbos and we'll see you next week.